Broadcasting from the News Radio 102.9 KARN Radio Center and Studio 1B, it is Guatney Unplugged with Scott Romine. Hey, Scott here. Hope you're having a great Saturday. You know, apart from my son Jackie, I don't think I've ever had a relative on the show before. Uh, but we're going to do that today. Uh, my favorite uncle just passed away not very long ago, Uncle George, and he was all into the airplane stuff and has passed it on to his son, his grandson, and all that stuff. Welcome to the show, my cousin, Brian Lee. How are you, Brian? Hey, Scott. I'm doing great. appreciate you uh, getting me on here, and uh, you know, I'm look, looking forward to it. Oh. I'm doing wonderful. Oh, yeah. You know, being around you and your dad growing up, it's, it's always meant a ton to me, and not very long ago... We recorded one of these shows in a Titan II missile silo that's been restored in Valonia, Arkansas, for the public to see. And I understand your dad actually had something to do with these when they were active. You know, he sure did, and that's uh, it is incredible to you know even look at the past history of you know Little Rock and, and Arkansas. There, you bet. My dad actually worked on the Titan missiles back when they first came out, actually in the uh, early '60s, and. Uh, you know, of course, those missiles were there, like you mentioned, there in Arkansas for quite some time. And uh, he would go down in the missile silos and, and do maintenance work and electronics work on those uh, Titan missiles back in the day. Uh, you know, of course, those missiles have since been replaced by, by newer Minuteman missiles. But, yeah, those missiles were uh, for a long time. You know, a lot of people don't know that around the state of Arkansas and in various parts throughout the Midwest, of course. Uh, he was probably was very- active when one of them blew up in Arkansas and Damascus, probably. Yeah, you know, he had just retired right before that. But you're correct. Yeah, that Damascus incident is a, is a very famous, uh, you know, and unfortunately one person did get killed in that. But, yeah, that was a, a you know, unfortunate accident where somebody dropped a tool down in there and hit a fuel line. And, and yeah, that did kill one person and then a very unfortunate. But that was in Damascus. Uh, the missile was retired, actually. The Titan missile was retired not too long after that. Your dad, when I would talk to him about it, he 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 didn't seem too favorable on the the liquid fuel. That he, he liked some other missile system a lot better. Yeah, that's correct. The Titan missile system had a liquid fuel, uh, which was much more volatile, much more dangerous, of course. And then the newer missile, the Minuteman three missile that you know we use today, uh, is a solid fuel, uh, so it's not near as volatile. Uh, you don't have near the issues. So. Just, just different technologies, certainly, between what was developed back in the 50s and 60s and then what they have today. That's correct. Did your dad uh, have different things that he did in the Air Force outside of the missile thing? Because I was really kind of young. Uh, yeah. You, you know, funny, Scott, actually, a lot of ties, actually, to Arkansas with my dad. He, When he first went in the Air Force, he uh, you know, was down in Wichita Falls at Shepard Air Force Base doing aircraft maintenance, and he got out, went up to work in General Motors in Detroit, and then lo and behold, the Cold War was kind of getting going back then in the mid-50s, and the Air Force came back after him, and he said, well, if you'll let me get stationed at this new base you have called Blyville Air Force Base there in Arkansas, yep. I'll come in because that's where his family was from, of course, there in northeastern Arkansas. And lo and behold, they let him go back to Blyville, and Blyville, of course, was a World War II uh, student training base for pilots. And uh, once World War II ended, it kind of became just a supply depot. But then when the Cold War got going hot and heavy in the 50s, Blyville stood up as a strategic air command base, uh, having uh, various bombers there, B-47s, B-52s. And anyhow, long story short, my dad got to go back there and be a maintenance uh, troop on B-52s, B-57s, 
uh, some of the initial bombers they had when Blyville really first stood up as an Air Force base uh, in the mid-50s. Of course, later Blyville changed to Eker Air Force Base, changed the name, and of course it closed in the early 90s. But yeah, he spent quite a bit of time up there working, doing aircraft maintenance really was his uh, primary field that he did uh, and started right there really in, in Arkansas, up in northeastern Arkansas. I think that Blyville Base today, they actually race cars down the old airstrip. You can go like 200 miles an hour. Yeah, you're you're correct. I think they, <laughs> they do that. Yeah, it's it's a huge runway. I think it's a almost thirteen thousand foot runway. So yeah, you got Jeez. a lot of room to do that up there. I had no idea. You know, we're sponsored by uh, Guatney Chevrolet. I had no idea my uncle had worked for General Motors. Yeah, he did. It's uh, it was funny. You know, back in the heyday, of course, of, of General Motors. You know, GM. Uh, you know, that was the early fifties. Uh, he was always a, a kind of a mechanic car guy. You know, and in fact, he worked with your dad a lot as yep. you know buying and selling cars and worked on cars and and even uh, your granddad but uh he he loved cars he actually started off uh working at a gas station owned a gas station in cardwell missouri right across the border from paragol arkansas up in the middle of missouri <laughs> him and his brother ran a gas station and an auto mechanic shop and uh, that was his passion was working on cars and yeah, so back in the mid '50s, you know, General Motors was really getting rolling the heyday, building all the '57 Chevys and all those oh, things. Yeah. And he went up there and was making good money in Detroit. Uh, but the Air Force kept calling, wanting him to come back because you know that was the Cold War and the military was really building up. And ended up coming back to to the Air Force because we ended up being able to get back home by his family, get back to Arkansas. So I know was, one one of the cool things that your dad did later on, because I remember this, he got involved with the FAA. What was he doing there? Yeah, he did. He uh, Later on, after he retired from the Air Force, he went to work for the Federal Aviation Administration, and that's essentially uh, regulating, uh, aircraft rules and laws of people that fly and maintain airplanes. It kind of like being a, a policeman for airplanes instead of, uh, being a highway patrol officer, if you will, for cars, you're doing it for aircraft, aircraft maintenance and all that. And, and indeed he did that there in Little Rock, Arkansas, worked at the FESDO, uh, flight standards district, district office there in, in Little Rock and, and did a lot of, uh, Worked with a lot of the agriculture aircraft that are there in Arkansas and uh, all the various, uh, you know, commuter airline type operations in and out of uh, various places there in Arkansas. So he did that in the uh, mid, late 80s and even into the early 90s there in Arkansas. I'm guessing Uh, if there was a crash, maybe your dad would go out and investigate that. Absolutely. Yep. And I remember as a kid going out and doing that and, uh, you know, even, even some crashes there. Uh, in Arkansas and in Little Rock, in fact, uh, mm. any airplane crash, uh, they were the first ones out there to, you know, start the investigation and see what happened and try to figure it out. At some time way back there, there was actually a bomber that broke up over Arkansas and crashed in downtown Little Rock. I don't know if you yeah, know that's is that right? Yeah, yeah, I believe that that is correct. I I I don't remember all that story, but yeah, that that did happen quite a few years back. Uh, you know, and I know you mentioned Little Rock and bombers, you know, Little Rock Air Force Base, uh, of course, used to be a bomber base, used to have uh, a very famous airplane there, B-58 Hustlers, which was a four engine Mach 2 plus jet that was stationed at Little Rock. I know now Little Rock is famous as a C-130 base, yep. but that was certainly not always the case. I think we have a Hustler here. on display. <clears throat> you, you do. That is correct. Yeah. And, you know, that was a strategic air command base initially. And uh, had a lot of uh, neat, neat airplanes out there. But now, of course, it's it's home to the C-130 and 
honestly the main training base for initial crews for C-130s and, and everything else. So it has been since about the mid-70s. And of course, you follow in your dad's footsteps to become a pilot, and I don't think there's anything you, you can't fly. But my earliest memories, seriously, like the first things I can remember was going to your house, I'm guessing maybe in, in Kansas, and you had a room full of model airplanes. Uh, when was the, the first time you actually remember flying? Gosh, you know, Scott, it, it is funny. I Yeah, I grew up, uh, obviously, in my, in my family, my dad, uh, nothing but airplanes. That's all we knew. And I remember being three or four years old. My dad actually owned an airplane. We've owned several airplanes you know, in the family. And and he would take me out and put me in the seat and, and go flying. And I, I vaguely remember it. And, uh, you know, of course, three or four years old. And uh, after that, it was always just hanging out at airports, being around airports when, you know, working on airplanes, hand me this wrench, hand me this, hand me that. Oh, yeah, you know, it's kind of the gopher, go for this, go for that. But, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, growing up, that's all I, I knew. And, uh, sure enough, uh, you know, as I got into high school, I actually got my pilot's license, uh, at the same time I got my driver's license, uh, you know, and I remember going on dates, uh, in high school, taking girls flying, you know, somewhere. So the first time uh, I ever flew in a plane, you took me flying. Yeah. Yeah. I and you couldn't so. have been, I mean, I had to have been, you probably were like 16, I think I was about 18. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was. Yeah. Uh, I, I was young. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's just something I've always done. And I was a flight instructor, even up in fate. I went to school at the university of Arkansas up there. And even in college, I was a flight instructor teaching people how to fly. That's awesome. Drake, Drake field. Hey, got to take a quick break. We're talking to my cousin, Brian Lee. We'll be right back here on Guatney unplugged. You're listening to Guatney unplugged. On News Radio 102.9 KARN with Scott Romine, brought to you by Guatney Automotive Group. Hey, Scott Romine here. Kind of a first having a relative on the show today. My cousin Brian Lee can fly. If it has wings, he can fly it. And we're talking to him from uh, California. How's the weather out there? You know, it's Scott, it's great. I tell you, we're in San Diego. So that's the, uh, you know, it's not cheap to live here, but I tell you, you pay the, we call it the sunshine tax. It's, uh, it's about 75 every day. It doesn't matter the month of the year, but uh, it's pretty nice today too. So. Can't you tour a carrier out there? I've always heard that. Uh, oh, you can. I tell you what, I go out, you know, even once a month and I just walk around. And of course I've been on it a million times, but uh, you see something different every time that thing is so big. It's the USS Midway is the carrier that's here. And, you know, very famous aircraft carrier that was actually in desert storm actually was retired shortly after that about really? 1993. But, but incredible, you know, they keep it in great shape, uh, tons of neat airplanes on it. And I tell you, if you're ever in San Diego, it is definitely one of the top tourist attractions, very easy to go do. And, uh, it is just one of the neatest things you've ever done to walk through that thing and, and see everything. It's, it's just a, a great tour. Very, very cool. Um, I want to ask you about, of course, you go on to join the air force, just like your dad did. Were you always on a mission to fly for them? You know, I, I was, I got to admit from an early age, uh, you know, I, I don't know, junior high or when you start thinking about what you're going to do, I definitely wanted to fly in the Air Force. And uh, I, you know, realized at some point, oh, you got to go to college and get a college degree, you know, to be an officer. So I guess, I guess I'll do that. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had a lot of family, of course, from there in Arkansas in that area and, and some family that had went to the University of Arkansas. So I ended up going, as you know, up there to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville and 
uh, did Air Force ROTC and uh, really enjoyed it. You know, graduated from there in 91 and started flying in the Air Force. Uh, and, you know, funny enough, a, a quick story, my, my ROTC instructor, who was a captain at the time, was actually the retired two-star general, Mark Berry, who was the adjutant general there for, and ran the Air National Guard or, or the National Guard for the state of Arkansas. And he recently retired here a couple of years ago, so I believe he's there in Little Rock. When you, when you go to start out Air Force pilot, were were the rules or the requirements maybe more stringent back then than they are now? And could could you have had you know maybe not perfect vision, or did you have to have perfect vision, or has that changed yeah, today? You know, I had, you know, back then you did have to have all that perfect vision, all that stuff. You know, we didn't have things like LASIK, or you know, they really hadn't done or those sort of things sure. on the eyes. Nowadays, I think, you know, oftentimes it depends on the demand, but nowadays you can, you know, do things like LASIK or, or the, you know, medical procedures are much better now where they can do things that the Air Force is considering safe to become a pilot. Uh, and of course, pilot tra- training is really changing quite a bit now. They're using things like uh, simulators and uh, all sorts of uh, virtual type sure. training that, that we never had back, you know, when I went through, it was just, here's a T-37, here's a T-38, learn to fly these airplanes and then go on to, to your next airplane. So, so very, very different world today. How does it get determined what plane you're going to be assigned to when you get out of all this training? Well, you know, it, it's a combination of things. One, obviously how you fly in your grades. So it, it's straight up competitive and you get ranked, you know, if you have 20 people in your class, one through 20, if you will. Uh, however, some other things they do look at nowadays, they, they factor in kind of a flight commander rating, how you've done. And then they, they even try to look at some personality traits a little bit now that they probably didn't used to do, you know, would this person fit better in a fighter or a bomber or a transporter? Uh, how did they fly in this? Maybe if you flew better in formation, maybe you, you lean you toward a certain airplane, maybe a fighter versus, if you did better navigation, maybe you'll lean more toward a cargo type airplane. So they really try to look at all that, but, but it's, it's kind of on a ranking, you know, how, you, how good your grades are, you know, no different than graduating high school or, or college or anything else in the end. So if I say I've, I've seen Top Gun 50 times, that, that does not, it's not going to help me. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not gonna not gonna work real well. Great movie, but yeah, <laughs> probably not gonna help. So tell everybody the plane you end up flying. Yeah, so I ended up coming out of pilot training, going to fly the B one bomber, which was you know a great airplane for me. Um, it was an airplane that I ended up being based down in Texas. Uh, you know, and it's still an airplane that flies to this day, flies combat missions. Um, it's a swing wing bomber, so it has uh, wings that go four to 15 degrees and all the way aft to almost 70 degrees. It's also a supersonic bomber. Uh, you know, and it's also a bomber that can, you can roll it, you know, I mean, not too many, you're not going to do that with a B 52 or no. a B two bomber. So it's, you know, it flies low level at supersonic speeds, a high level as well. And it was just an incredible airplane. And, and you know, my timing starting to fly in the mid nineties, I thought, Oh, I'm going to have an airplane that I really don't have to deploy a lot. I had a son at the time that was new and, you know, this will be great. And then lo and behold, things like Kosovo, September 11th, you know, I ended up spending a lot of time in combat, uh, flying stories over Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and various places. And, uh, you know, during the early 2000s, but it, it was, it was a great airplane, love flying it, um, very fast airplane. 
and, and, you know, again, an airplane that's still out flying combat stories to this day. I've heard um, we'll, we will keep it around until like 2036. Yeah, that's true. I, I, that is that is right now the plan, you know, until the new B-3 bomber, if you will, comes out that nobody's really seen yet. Uh, and, of course, that'll take a while to, to get out in the field. Yeah, the B-1 is, is going to be probably, probably around for another 15 years or so. You're correct. So when you're doing this map of the Earth flying, how much of it is you and how much of it is a computer? Yeah, funny you mentioned that. So the, the airplane has what's called a, T, a TF system, terrain following system. And you, you bet you can just go hands off. You hook that system up, the airplane can fly you down to a very low altitude. Uh, and it, you were just sitting there along for the ride. Are you, are uh, you like a hundred feet or 50 feet or how, how low is low? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to give up the, uh, the secret sauce there, but it, your, your numbers aren't far off. Uh, it, it is low. Uh, so I mean, telephone poles are of concern at this point. I yeah. Would and, and believe it or not. Yeah. The, the, uh, the system can pick that sort of stuff up and flies you right over those things. Uh, the radar picks it up, knows it's there, and it will maneuver you up and over it or around it. Um, now, you can hand fly down to a certain altitude, uh, maybe say five or 600 feet. You can actually hand fly the airplane. Ugh. But when you start getting down to those lower altitudes, uh, that's got to be the system doing that. So uh, are you controlling the swing wing or is a computer doing that? So, yeah, actually, we are manually doing it. Um, we are actually, no, not a computer. It's just uh, manual with, with your hand. There's a big lever and you pull that lever back or push it forward, depending on where you want the wings to go. And, you know, that's based on what airspeed you're flying. I got uh, you. If you're, at a, if you're at a slow airspeed, of course, coming in to land or take off, you got the wings full forward or you're wanting to really get moving along full afterburner, uh, wings are full aft and you know, you're, you're hauling the mail. What kind of bombs are you carrying in this thing? You know, initially the B-1 bomber uh, actually started off as a nuclear bomber, uh, purely nuclear bomber, switched over to conventional weapons in the mid-90s. And then nowadays, and even when I flew it, we were dropping precision weapons, which were essentially GPS-guided uh, bombs, uh, JDAMs, direct, uh, direct uh, attack munition, essentially joint direct attack munition, which was a weapon that is GPS-guided by satellite. So you essentially drop the bomb, picks up a satellite signal, which controls the fins, and puts that weapon very precisely wherever you want it. You could put it right through a, a front door in a house Jeez. or uh, you know a certain window on the house, uh, put it wherever you want, and a really amazing te technology. Have you ever run across this black and white grainy footage on YouTube and thought, yeah, I did that one? Yeah, you know, funny you mentioned, yeah, we have seen some of that, yeah. Uh, it, it, you're correct. It's... Uh, all the time I spent over there. Yeah. It's uh, that, that does happen. Some of it has to have been your, your, your doing, I'm sure. How many people yeah. are in the plane with you? You know, we have two pilots up front and then in the back, you have two weapon systems officers and one's one of the, one of the, uh, weapon systems officers, what's called an offensive systems. Another guy is defensive systems and the offensive guy, he's using the radar and the cameras and things like that to look and find the bad guys, pick which weapon to put on what target, uh, doing that sort of work. The defensive guy, he's got all sorts of jamming equipment. He has chaff. He has flares. He's trying to keep the missiles and the weapons off of you, you know, keep you from getting shut down, essentially. So kind of two different roles for each person there. Uh, and then the pilots up front, of course, are 
taking all that information that they're getting from those guys and maneuvering you, you know, into the target through the threat, whatever that threat might be. That's awesome. We're talking with my cousin Brian Lee about the B1 bomber. We'll be right back here on Guatney Unplugged. You're listening to Guatney Unplugged on News Radio 102.9 KARN with Scott Romine, brought to you by Guatney Automotive Group. Hey, Scott Romine here. We're talking airplanes today with my cousin Brian Lee, who flew the B1 bomber. Hey, Brian. Why do some planes last so long, like a B-1, they're going to run it until 36, but like, I think the F-117 Nighthawk was around for five minutes. Yeah, I think, you know, some of that, Scott, has to do with the the ability uh, and the technology in the airplanes. Uh, you know, the F-117, uh, it, it actually flew in the in the early to mid-80s, actually dropped bombs down in Panama, uh, and, you know, lasted through, you're right, through the desert storm, and but it it just didn't have a lot of capability. It was very new technology that came out. It only carried like two bombs. Uh, so it was, it was limited capability there. And, and the cost sometimes is just prohibitive on keeping an airplane like that flying when there's yeah. newer and better things that can come out. Uh, you know, you look at airplanes like the B-52, golly, you know, that long been flying time. Since, <laughs> yeah. Mid fifties. And <laughs> it might, it might fly a hundred years. You know, it very well not. might. Yeah. In this B-1B, could you drop this bomb that we hear about, the Moab? You know, the Moab, oddly enough, no. Um, the Moab is a is a bomb that's typically dropped, believe it or not, by transport aircraft, like the uh, the C-130 there at Little Rock. Really? Um, Just yeah, shove it out the very, back? Shove it out the back, has a parachute on it. It kind of guides itself, again, with, uh, with, with a little bit of GPS technology. You don't have to be real precise when you're dropping a bomb that you know, will kill everything within a mile of where it hits, but, uh, probably not. Just a, yeah. Yeah. Just, just depends what you're, what you're doing. But in the, you know, in the B1, we tried to be real precise with our weapons, even drop smaller weapons if you could, because we're always wanting to minimize collateral damage, you know, not hurt anybody except who you're really going after. And that was one thing we always tried to do. You know, how much of what you did or, 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 or whatnot has become drone work? Or is there some things you got to just, you need to be there in the plane? You know, a lot of it, you're right, Scott, has switched over to that. And I actually, after I flew the B-1, I flew a couple other airplanes. I flew reconnaissance aircraft in, in Iraq. Actually, I spent a year in Iraq training Iraqi Air Force pilots and some of their Air Force, teaching them to do reconnaissance work with cameras and radar. You know, essentially airplanes that didn't even have weapons, but you would go out and monitor what was going on. And in today's world, when you look at, you know, the things that have gone on in, in Africa and Afghanistan and Iraq and all the other places, it's not really so much about trying to put weapons or bombs on somebody. It's really trying to watch what's going on and hopefully find a, a diplomatic solution to something instead of having to kill people. So when you talk about drones or UAVs, uh, those are airplanes that can, you know, fly very high altitudes, have a lot of sensors on them. And these are airplanes that can stay airborne for 40 hours something that really is just not humanly possible in a man airplane or, you know, to have a, a person sit in a seat for 40 hours. Although I'll tell you the B1, I have flown some 24, 25 hour sorties and, and those are just brutal to do. Um, is but, there you know, anywhere to lay down in the back or you're just in the chair? You're in the chair and, and you will get up every now and then, you know, we have a little kind of like a camper porta potty and a little small spot in the aisle. I guess you could kind of lay down in, but really not. You're really just in the chair, and uh, it's it's rough, obviously, you know, and it's a young man's game. Um, you know, yeah. you got when you're 25, 30, 35, you can pull that off. Uh, you start getting older; it's 
probably not a place you want to be. So Brian, like when you talk about B1s and, and weapon systems and things like that, is that typically we keep them here in the continental U.S., we fly over there and bomb something, we bring them back, or, or do we ever store them in other countries? No, we certainly do forward deploy those aircraft. Yeah, there are bases that uh, we will forward deploy so we don't have to fly those long sorties. Uh, typically, that's what we do now. Um, but but you're correct. Uh, many times, bombers in particular have flown sorties nonstop from uh, the base I used to be at, for example, at Dias Air Force Base or the B-52s down at Barksdale Air Force Base just south of uh, you guys there. So, yeah, it, it, we have done that. But like we were talking about, those are long, brutal yeah. <laughs> missions. They're 30, 35 hours. And you're better off keeping things forward deployed if you, if you can. And we have been doing that certainly in the past 20 years. I mean, yet. would we bring like a stealth bomber home or would we actually land it over there somewhere? We can. Typically, you'll bring a stealth bomber home, but you can forward deploy it. There are certain places. Now, the stealth bombers and anything stealth has, you know, certain hangars you need to put them in to protect them and things like that. Uh, but yeah, we, we can forward deploy those airplanes. We typically do not though. Did you ever have a close call on this B1 where something's went wrong or, you know? Yeah. You know, I certainly did. I, I mean, from a mechanical standpoint, I was uh, flying actually a actually combat sortie, uh, overseas and on takeoff actually, uh, had a tire blowout on me and oh. all the, all the, the rubber kind of like what happened on the Concorde. If you remember, had a yes. similar incident. On, on the exact same thing and all the rubber went down the engines blew them out had a fire uh, but got the airplane airborne luckily got the gear up got the fire out brought the airplane back around and landed it safely uh, with a full load of bombs and everything else that was probably one of my most nerve-wracking uh incidents but did you, you think know, about looked. getting rid of the bombs you know we did but uh we were over uh the, the area we were over it was not gonna be uh a pleasant uh, thing to do uh, for the people that lived around there. So we kept <laughs> right. um, and, you know, but yeah, that would have certainly reduced some weight, but you know, look, I, I mean, I've been shot at uh, quite a bit and uh, have been fortunate, uh, but sometimes getting shot at is, is not as bad as having the big mechanical failures. Uh, but you know, it's, it's part of what comes with, with what you do. And did you have to outrun a missile or you're talking about like small arms fire, that sort of thing? Yeah, the missiles we can usually jam, but I, we have done that. Or, you know, maybe the, the missiles were shot at us. Uh, oftentimes we're dumb missiles because they want to keep the radar shut down once they launch them. Uh, but certainly AAA getting shot at maneuvering around that. That's, that's pretty, a uh, very common thing uh, back in the day when I flew, certainly any, maybe not as common today. Any clue what's going to replace that plane? You know, well, the B-3 bomber, uh, you know, which is going to come out, which we, we really haven't seen pictures of, don't know. We suspect will be stealthy. Sounds like it may have an unmanned capability to it as well, manned or unmanned. Uh, be interesting when that bomber comes out. You know, there's been some some fake pictures of you will come out. Nobody's <laughs> really seen it. Uh, right now, that airplane will be based at the same bases, at least initially, that the B-1's at. So that, that will be the replacement for the B-1. And then I'm certainly excited when the airplane comes out to see it and see what kind of technology with today's technology, man, there's no telling what they could do. That's so true. It ought to be really neat. Did you get to keep your cool helmet? You know, I, I did. I still have that here at home and uh, yeah, everybody gets to keep their cool helmet. And those things are actually shaped on the inside to, to fit your own personal head. So they, uh, 
it, it is pretty neat. You do get to keep that. I've heard these new fighters with all this look through technology that those guys won't get to keep their helmets because the helmets are like a million dollars or something. Yeah, that's probably true. That, that is true. Yeah, they have uh, foresight uh, capability through the helmets where they can actually look and shoot. And, yeah, that's, that's probably very true. How how radical is going from a B-1 to you fly like jets and, and things now? Is it quite a bit different or not much different? You know, I mean, some of the some of the things are basically the same. But you know, in the, in the Air Force, anytime you're flying in the Air Force, it's more about the mission and less about just the flying. For instance, the civilian pilots, you know, more more into instrument approaches or or doing some of their their maneuvers that they do uh, or getting from point A to point B. In, in the Air Force uh, or in the military, you're more concerned about the mission, whether that's uh, you know shooting down other airplanes, dropping bombs transporting cargo into dangerous areas like what the C-17s just did here out of Afghanistan. Uh, so it's a little different type of flying, um, usually in the, in the military, more structured, discipline type of flying. But, I mean, look, I, I was a civilian pilot long before I went in the Air Force, and a lot of great civilian pilots out there. And, and as you know, civilian, pilot, uh, civilian flying is a ton of fun. You get to do things like land on grass strips and go yeah. to all sorts of neat, neat airports. So, so it, it's different, but different but the same in some aspects if somebody wants to be a pilot in the air force it just i got a minute left is there any advice you could give that person yeah you know i mean obviously you know get your college degree go through school and uh get some flying time make sure it's something you want to do i think getting a little bit of civilian flying time going on the flight instructor would be very good advice and from there you know look at the three different ways to go in or through the air force academy rotc or OTS. Uh, I think ROTC is a great program. A lot of your universities have it to include right there at the University of Arkansas and uh, go through those programs, get your commission and and get a pilot slot. And uh, it's, it's very doable if someone wants to do it. And it's a great way to make a living and it's a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being on the show. My cousin, Brian Lee for the B1B Bomber.